MPB Think Radio. This is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. On today's program, we'll talk about one of the most popular topics we have, saving for retirement. There are new things happening when it comes to saving for your retirement. And with a new tax plan coming out of Washington, this is a great time to know what you can do when it comes to your money and your retirement savings plan. So give us a call this morning. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Blotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. On today's program, we're going to talk about your financial advisor's favorite subject, saving for retirement. There's some new things happening when it comes to saving for your retirement. And with a new tax plan coming out of Washington, it's a great time to know what you can do when it comes to your money and your retirement saving plan. So give us a call this morning with questions about saving your retirement or other personal finance questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 you can also send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So good morning to you both. Hope that you're doing well this morning. What's with all the cake this morning? And Ryder's yeah. over here just, you know, um, eating this cake like, ha-ha, I have cake and you don't. Yeah, well, there's so more cake out there. I've been just shoveling this cake a in my cake mouth while breakfast? you were doing the intro, so I cake really appreciate it. Cake for breakfast? What's, cake the, is what's the, the all-American Well, I had, some, I had some eggs earlier, so this is um, what... What do, we, what do you call this? What What is it in, in the Hobbit world? Do you oh. call your next meal after breakfast? But it's before elevenses, though, so I don't know. Ah. I so is Hobbit, somebody so. celebrating? Uh, Kendra, our coworker, her parents, whose birthdays are just two days apart, they celebrated and had some cake left over, so she brought it in for so fair to us. So you are the it's beneficiary delicious. of all that. Yes, yes. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. A just marbled go, cake go with uh, lots of wow. chocolate on it. So, But yeah, I mean... Cake for breakfast, that's the all-American breakfast as far as I'm concerned. That's Absolutely. That's probably why I look like I do. Well, I mean, you know, that's what donuts are, really. <laughs> well, I, that's true. I'm all in favor of donuts for breakfast as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. Just heard on the news that could, could possibly be the hottest temperature ever for a World Series, they're saying, in Los Angeles, yeah, over 100 degrees. Quite a surprise there. And it is and you, and here we chilly are here. Yeah, you may know this, but they were talking about how um, – at that temperature, they can expect the uh, ball to fly higher uh-huh, or faster yes. or longer, whatever. I don't know. Better, is that, faster, higher. Is that for real? I, I think it's true because um, I've got uh, several tennis the things lined up this week, and it's very similar, saying that as the temperature gets too low, it begins to adversely affect the bounce of a tennis ball. So, Oh, uh, I was thinking maybe, you know, the expansion, contraction of because the rubber core or whatever – 
So that might be part of the physics. But yeah, I think you're onto something there. I believe I believe the temperature definitely affects uh, how far. So I, I'm not onto it. I'm just is, repeating what I saw. Is is that why is that why a place like Mississippi we have like great athletes just because it's so hot all the time they're just <laughs> leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. I don't think that's it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real true fact anyway. So. So uh, financial news, I guess uh, the uh, um, upcoming tax plan is uh, beginning to be on people's minds. Well, uh, definitely on mm-hmm. everyone's mind. And for investors, it's uh, we are paying close attention to what they do with the corporate tax rate. So if we lower those corporate tax rates, that will increase the bottom line, increase earnings per share, and should increase the stock prices if it has not already done so. It may already be baked in, right, Ryder? Yeah, and, that, and that's what a... Again, that the the rally for at least the first half of the year, a lot of that looked like uh, a tax rate rally. Um, There's I saw some good white papers on that discussing how, particularly in the the initial bump in the end of last year, was very 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 strong in small caps, and those are the companies that typically have the highest tax rates because. They operate all in the U.S. They don't have you know access to the sort of um, corporate tax um, avoidance. What what what's the legal avoidance uh, measures that other large companies do Luke when they holes. <laughs> when they operate overseas? Um, but now you know everything is still up. So you know hopefully. Well, and the real danger is if this is baked in. And they don't come through. We don't right. get something that's substantive. We could see it decline. Because there's there's two things. And first is they're looking at, okay, well, this company is going to have pay less money in taxes. Therefore, they will directly have more money in earnings. Therefore, they should be valued higher. But also they're looking at um, they're looking at the effect of that extra money going into the economy in different ways. And so that's kind of the twofold, at least the one and two steps And that, that second part is the one that's questionable yeah that's always that's always just kind of anyone's guess until it happens so actually it was just the idea of tax reform had caused a bump in this in the stock market right well uh that plus the thought that we were going to have some infrastructure spending more government spending that would be um a stimulus to the economy that has not happened so there are a lot of things that got built in that we're kind of waiting to see if if the market says well you know we're disappointed we pull back yeah uh, there was a big uh, financial anniversary last week that we'll talk about in just a minute. But first, oh, wow. uh, we've got Maria from Brandon on the line. You're on the air, Maria. Go ahead, please. How you doing? Um, Good. I work for the state, and I have my retirement with PERS. And wanted to know if that's a safe place to have my retirement or what the risks are with that. And once I'm vested, should I be looking to move it out of that? So I don't know much about the system, but I've heard some concerns. And I'll take my answer offline. Thank you. I think um, what you said, you've heard some concerns. A lot of people say that, but PERS is one, it's a very good plan. Uh, it's a very good pension plan in that the benefits are very good. And so let's kind of like rewind a little bit. PERS is for um, state employees, government employees. They have what's called a defined benefit plan. And so part of their salary goes into that and every paycheck, and also their employer contributes a little bit as well. And I think the employee contribution is something like 9%. 
of your and paycheck. And the employers, what, 12 or 13 now? 12 or 13 percent. Part of that is, is going big. part of that is going towards your benefits, and part of that is going to, towards the benefits that the legislator and all of their infinite wisdom, because they wanted the votes, decided to backdate back in the early 2000s. So part of that's kind of paying for um, – uh, um, past mistakes of our elected officials, but it's um, well managed. But it, we do have a for it, being a small state. We really yeah. have done a good job in um, managing this very big mm-hmm. retirement plan, and um, it is a great benefit. Those defined benefit plans or pensions are rare these days. Uh, I say they are becoming dinosaurs. So there are very few employees who have access to that. So it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think what you said is well managed. So when you hear concerns about it don't don't uh, it's it's often um pension accounting and the sort of accounting that goes into it is it's very complicated and it's very boring but you know you can see some headline numbers that look absolutely frightening but the person managing the pension is like well this is super normal well so it is well i wouldn't from a safety perspective i wouldn't worry about it and again like we said the benefits are actually very good and compared to other states even the benefits are still very good. Well, the concerns that have come up because there's a difference between private pension fl- plans and government, state government pension plans, because we still are having this argument about what are our state's rights and what are federal rights. And so if you work for a private company and they have a pension plan, there's a federal law that governs that plan, ERISA, and dictates how much money has to be set aside to provide for your pension when you do retire. So you get that monthly check without any problems. Um, States are not under that same regulation. Um, They are separate. And because of that, they have the option to fund or not fund. So here in the state Mm -hmm. of Mississippi, the problem has been the actuaries have gone to um, the legislature and they've said, look, this is how much money you should be putting aside. And the legislature, because they're looking at tight budgets, go, yeah, I don't think so. Or I'm not going to fund quite that much. And so that's where the concern has come about is they haven't been funding appropriately I don't think that's fair. If you're a state employee, what you've said mm-hmm. is, um, it's I'm a promise. Take, it is a promise. I mean, it's, it's part of it's your salary. it's part of your initial pay. Like yeah. people wouldn't sign up on day one if they didn't think they would be taken care of on the last day. So it's basically, you know, um, I'll pay you tomorrow for some work you do today, and then to get to tomorrow and say, well, whoops, I don't have the money. That's not fair. So I think um, we do need to look at addressing the funding. And there were some additional promises that were made that some. Of the yeah. the legislators are complaining about we we overextended, right. but it's still a very good plan. And I would say to you, also sign up for deferred compensation, <laughs> which is the other type of retirement plan that is available to state employees, yeah. and you are giving even more of your paycheck over, but it's going to be great for you. Yeah, I, it sounds like we could do. I mean, because I could, yeah, I could I mean, keep talking about one. this. I mean, if we just want to change the topic right now, we could do we could do a whole topic just on purse. A couple other things. Uh, if you'll go to the MPB, um, the Money Talks um, archive, uh, it was a, a quite a while ago, but we did, uh, I think in the last year or so, did a PERS uh, show. Uh, that's probably still in the archive. And also, uh, PERS does a good job of outreach where they'll go out to state employees and let them know how the program works, the options, the, the different uh, choices that they can make. So I would encourage you, Maria, if you uh, come across one of those seminars, they're very uh, helpful for state employees to understand better uh, our retirement plan. 
All right, so let's do this. We're going to take a break. We, as we mentioned, there is an important. Uh, is this so you can eat more cake? No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have finished my piece of cake. <laughs> anyway, let's take a break. When we get back, we'll talk about uh, an important financial anniversary from 30 years ago last week. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Botridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Today we're primarily talking about saving for retirement, but on Tuesdays we'll take any kind of personal finance question that you might have for us. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464 or email the show money at mpbonline.org. The phone lines are open, so if you have a question, uh, go ahead and give us a call. We'll see if we can't give you some assistance this morning. So I've been uh, promoting uh, an anniversary of, of sort of a famous anniversary, financially speaking, 30 years ago last week. So 30 years ago, October 19th, 1987, Black Monday. Yes, yes. Uh, a day which will live in infamy. Um, not a fun day on the markets. Um, it was a drop of 22.6% in one day. If that happened today, we would be talking about a 5,000-point decline on the Dow. Mm. That is just heart-stopping. Um, so we need to always remind ourselves that um, those things can happen. We don't see the same setup now as what we saw um 30 years ago, but we we are getting a little nervous about how high the market has gone, about it building in all of these expectations and maybe some possible disappointment and, you know, a pullback correction. We're not sure. The problem when the market starts to pull back, it doesn't usually do it all in one day like it happened there 30 years ago, but it's usually a stepwise. You know, you lose a couple percent. You have another week where you just kind of hang around at that point. You lose a little bit. Before you know it, you've been in correction mode. Um, if I remember correctly, there was something involving savings and loans. Was that it? Uh, no, the savings know. and loan was separate. That did, I think, contribute to the um, the economic issues at the time. Um, but one of, one of the things that cited <clears> – <throat> as a reason that the stocks declined so much on a single day is just kind of getting into one of those technical things of the stock market. What a lot of people were doing uh, was kind of a fashionable thing at the time, a popular thing at the time was um, called portfolio insurance. And it was basically because this was a time when computer assisted trading was uh, taking off. And obviously everyone was thinking, oh, these computers, this is the future, just hand all the work to them. And someone devised this portfolio insurance, which was basically just a mechanism of selling your stocks as they were going down. It was basically what people call stop loss orders. And if you have stop loss orders in a personal account, you can see it happen when it, when when that thing hits um, on just a small personal scale. Uh, but it was so uh, popular um, that there was so much money under this portfolio in insurance that the computers – they weren't as, uh, I guess, smart as they might be today, and they were just like, okay, we've got – things are going down. We've got to sell, sell, so sell, sell. Selling. And so yeah. the more you sell, the more it goes down. Um, there's a number of, again, technical things in place today to prevent that, especially that uh, huge um, – uh, 
percent decline. Um, there's there's things they call circuit breakers. If any given stock goes down a certain amount, if any given index goes down a certain amount, um, they halt trading. Um, sometimes they'll do it for five minutes. If it happens again, they do it for twenty minutes. And that's and that's a very powerful tool because if you have five minutes to just like take a breath and say what is happening, you can figure out a lot. Especially especially today when it's so easy to get information. You know, you see the stock going down. You think something's happening. If you could just pause it and say, I'm going to give myself a minute just to figure out what's going on. And you found out there was nothing going on, Then, and everyone was finding out there was nothing going on, then that, that kind of technical selling um, wouldn't, wouldn't be so harsh, most likely. So I guess the, the big financial crises, I guess, would be 29, 87, and 08, I guess? The biggies? The three um, biggies? Well, um, I think um, we had the tech bubble in the late 90s. Uh, into the early two thousands, um, that was a recent- little a little more isolated, right? Than because the it, it was it was more a sector at that yeah. point. Of course, if you talk about a tech bubble I mean, now, that's everything. Yeah, that's- um, uh, two thousand eight <laughs> was was the the most recent event, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course we're heading into two thousand eighteen. So it's been yeah. ten years of a bull market, and that's what makes us a little nervous. We know that the markets don't always go up, and we are making a mistake if we think they will always go up. Um, and so we've had these events. We had one in the seventies, this one in the eighties. Um, early 90s had another big decline. I mean, it just does happen. But we can look back and see if you still are invested in good companies, good stocks, then um, they will be resilient and you will gain back. There was um, a great uh, a, a great statistic I heard once, I think one of the CFA dinners, is that there's something like a 90% chance that the stock market has a 10% drop. Uh, peak to trough 10% drop in a year. And there's something like an 85% chance that the bottom of that 10%, that the bottom of the drop in the market, the bottom of the biggest drop in the market in a year is higher than it was on January 1st. So you have, um, and, and so and so looking at 1987, um, the market fell 26% in one day. But it was up forty four percent that year from the beginning. And that's so what makes me had, nervous now, right? If you had if you had told somebody January first, be like, it's going to drop twenty six percent in a single day. One, if they believed you, you would frighten them. Two, they would probably say, Okay, well let's whatever. Just let's just get out of it. Yeah. But at the bottom they still you still would have been better off to be invested. So that's why a lot, you know, I mean while while you can, you know, move your investments around and moving between investments, between sectors, um, you know, shifting some between, you know, US and international markets, moving some to cash, moving some to fixed income at various times. That all has, you know, there's all purpose and meaning there and there's use there. Um, just getting absolutely frightened. Um, and not participating in the market is some of um, some of the more dangerous behavior sometimes. This is Bunny Talks on MPB Think Radio. <laughs> We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning, focusing specifically today about saving for retirement. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 
7464. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. The phone lines are open, so if you have a question, give us a call and we'll see if we can't give you some assistance today. So let's start out with uh, some basic things. A lot of people, we talk about 401k. Uh, What exactly is a 401k? Well, that number relates to um, a part of the code, our tax code. (laughs) Uh, So we have these things like a 401k and a 403b. Those are related to the tax code. I feel we're going to start naming everything we have in America by what section of the tax code (laughs) pertains to it. That could be. But they're going to fix all of that, right? (laughs) Um, But there are two types of retirement plans and rider Um, spoke about one before called a defined benefit plan, Mm -hmm. what we think of as the old pension plan. And the way the defined benefit plan works, and you have one of these, Kevin, Mm -hmm. um, the money is put aside for you. You are not deciding how much goes in there. You are not deciding what to invest in. Your employer, through a set of administrators and trustees and sponsors, they're taking that risk. And they are just committing to you when you retire based on your benefit package, how long you've worked, what your salary is. This is how much they will pay you every month in retirement. That's how it works. The other kind is called a defined contribution plan. And with a defined contribution plan, you decide, you as the employer take on all the risk. You decide how much to put in. You also have to choose the investments. And whatever it grows to, whatever you've saved, however you've invested it, that's all you have. The risk is all on you as the employee. And the reason for this big shift goes back to this federal law and this requirement to fund these pension plans at a certain rate and uh, more costs associated with that. And employers are saying more and more, We don't want to be in the retirement business and the investment business. So we're going to set up something different, which is the 401k. A 401k is a defined contribution plan. So you have a defined benefit plan, Kevin, which is PERS. You also have access to a defined contribution plan, which is the Mississippi Deferred Compensation Plan. But you can choose to put in there or not put in there. And more and more people have only defined contribution plans, which means it's really important to understand about saving and it's important to understand about investment so you can make the proper choices. So in a 401k, your employer, are you, do you have any say-so as to how your portion is invested? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. It's all on you. Yeah. All on you. You you don't you don't get to choose generally where it's invested. You know, maybe it's TIA Craft, maybe it's Charles Schwab, maybe it's at Fidelity. Fidelity is the largest custodian of 401k, so it's likely there. Um, but once it's there, they will have a preset list of funds. Um, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. I've seen a lot of improvement in the past few years because people are paying a little more attention to that. Um, but you get to choose what you put it in. And they will uh, typically always have a cash-like option. They will always have a fixed income-like option. They will always have some sort of equity options. We have another phone call to get to on the line. This time we say good morning to Felicia in Olive Branch. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, well, my question is uh, I'm young, and I'm looking to start investing what would be the best thing to do for me right now? And what is uh, a good, maybe like a good book to read or good uh, something to read on the subject? Uh, yeah, that's my question. 
Um, awesome. I, I like that you're young and trying to get started investing. Um, <clears throat> firstly, I would look at, you know, does your, does your employer offer a, a retirement plan of some sort? Um, if they do, you might have the ability to, you know, get a, receive a, a match on some of the funds that you put in there. Um, you know, a kind of classic example is a three percent match. You know, you put in three percent of your of your paycheck, and your employer matches three percent. That's that's free money. I mean, and even even a not great plan, it's usually worth it to go ahead and do that. Um, and and go ahead and, you know, put a decent bit of your paycheck into that. Um, just depending on how good that plan is, depending on what your match is, depending on how it's designed, um, that's often a good place to start because it is automatic and that really, you know, when you're young, you have longer for that money to grow. Um, so, you know, be aggressive when you're young and um, save as much as you can so you get in that habit of saving. Um, outside of that, particularly if you, maybe you've worked a little while, you've saved up or you've, you know, you know, been, uh, fortunate enough to have, uh, some sort of, you know, one-off payment. You have, you have a good amount of money to invest. Um, there's a lot of different avenues to take. You can work with a, with an advisor. Um, some may have minimums, uh, to work with and I would always encourage you to background check them and understand how they are paid. Um, you can you can invest on your own. You can open up an account at, say, Vanguard, and they will often, um, these Vanguard or a discount broker like Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, they will offer you some guidance on how to get started. You know, they might have a program where you, you know, put in your age and put in some risk tolerances and they suggest a portfolio for you um, without actually managing it themselves. Um as far as things to read, um, there's some Jack Bogle. Uh, well, um, Bogle, it's an old book. It's Bogle on Mutual Funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great read that gives you some guidelines on how these funds operate and what they should be charging. Mm-hmm. And so you can start paying attention. Um, and when it comes to mutual funds, I always say if you can read, you can invest. So you start to learn the language of those uh, mutual funds and how they work, you know, what are expense ratios, what is a turnover ratio, how can I look at what is in their portfolio because a mutual fund is just a portfolio, a collection of securities or investments, and um, and you can learn to pick and choose based on that. Um, so that's a good starting point. There's some other really good books out there, and we have one that we use for our investment club, and I can't bring it to mind right now. Um, it's just a basic uh, book because we have freshmen coming in that have not even taken a basic finance course all the way to our seniors, and so they need something to understand what is a stock and what mm-hmm. is a bond. And so just a general book, um, if I can remember, I'll get that to you guys, Kevin, and y'all can post that. And and there's a note. So so the the Jack Bogle book that approach will kind of show you that's that's a lot of how 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 we work. We work you know kind of lowering people's costs, focusing on broad indexes. Um, but one that people you know people do like to talk about individual stocks and research individual stocks. Um, things by Peter Lynch. Uh, he was a great, easy to read, and very. I just feel excited reading his books because I feel he was very excited to write them. Well, um, I will say my students will read Peter Lynch, but they'll they'll complain because the uh, examples are old. Oh yeah, but he it's still a, yes, because you know he's been really out of the business for a long time. But it's still great information. Yeah. He gives a ton 
ton of examples. And and it's really he shows how you can kind of think about investing in your daily life, how you can connect it to your daily life. And even if you don't go the route of picking individual stocks, because, you know, after you read the book, you will find that is it's very difficult work. Uh, you will lose money and you will you will hate the things you picked. Um, you um, you, you might not be comfortable with that style, but it is a very good way of showing how you can connect it to your daily life. And then the Jack Bogle books um, really going yeah, to show how to um, how to be prudent investors. Books out there on ETFs. These are a different type of pooled fund, like a mutual fund, an exchange traded fund. So I would encourage anyone to uh, pick up information about that and learn about ETFs. Um, it's a growing area. We use a lot of them for our clients. All right, Felicia, appreciate your call. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we will continue talking about saving for retirement and taking your personal finance questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. Back with more Money Talks after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Bunny Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're taking personal finance questions this morning as we kind of focus a little bit on saving for retirement. Uh, if you'd like to call in with a question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. We've got a call on the line we'll get to in just a minute. But Nancy, as we were chatting during the break, you had a really uh, great example of, I don't think younger people think a lot about saving for retirement, but your example uh, well, points we had, out how important um, it is. Yeah, we had our investment club uh, yesterday. And so the students had a question that they posed to the group, which was, what percentage of 18 to 29-year-olds don't invest? And the answer was 75%. And so we got them to pull out their financial calculators, and we started talking about how time is so important when you invest. So what if you put aside $100 a month, just $100 a month, and it earns an average of 8%? If you wait Wait until you're 50 years old and then you retire at 65, you're going to have about thirty-four dollars to $35,000. And we kept backing it down until we got to age 22 with the first job and you found there at that point you're going to have almost half a million dollars. And that's just the difference of starting early, being disciplined, and um, being reasonable in your fund choices and you can build a nice nest egg. All right. That's that really is amazing. What we went, what thirty thousand to almost half a million dollars. Yeah. So yeah, tremendous difference. All right, uh, got some calls to get to. We start again on the phone lines with uh, David calling in from Horn Lake. Good morning, David. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, go ahead. Uh, I work. I worked for a Fortune five hundred company that was traded on New York Stock Exchange. You know where they filed bankruptcy on the subprime mortgage, and um, they didn't put enough money in the uh, defined pension plan, and they're listening on that. Uh, pension Guarantee Corporation. It's kind of like the FDIC, the Guaranteed right. Pensions. Right. Yes. All right. They just recently offered me a cash out, uh, cash out buyout option. And, so uh, wait, um, did PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, offer you this? No, no. The company. The they're, company they're, did. They're reorganizing again. Mm, yeah. Okay. And they're wanting to get rid of all the pension liability. Oh yeah. To help the stock price when they go 
to sell uh, mortgages. Okay, so you still work for them? No, no, no. I got downsized. Okay. And uh, they offered me a, a cash out buy a cash out on the pension deal, and I'm somewhat restricted because I'm single, and if I die, the benefit disappears. Right, mm-hmm. right. So uh, my question to you is: I'm 62, and if I take the, I'm pretty sure I'm going to take the cash out buy. What would be a good? Um, I'm currently my my. My 401k is with Fidelity, and I've got a couple of IRAs with them. And um, but I've got what would be a good safe investment for me on a general rule of thumb, or what would I? What if I if I go talk to them? How would I? How would I be smart enough to ask an intelligent question? That's that's my problem. I don't know what questions to ask, the buzzwords to ask when I go talk. Right, right. I really think, you know, you have all kinds of things going on, okay? The first is you're 62. Are you unemployed now? Yes. Okay, so now you have to consider, um, have you already started taking Social Security? No. Uh, okay, so that's going to be a question. Um, should you take it? When should you take it? All right? Um, that's one piece of your retirement income. And then you have to look at everything else that you've accumulated, your Fidelity 401K, IRAs that you have, other savings, and look at how this cash buyout would play into this. And it could be, if you sat down with somebody who can crunch those numbers, you have to look at the value that they're giving you should be the same actuarially as what they're going to pay you in the future based on average lifespans. But like you say, you may want to basically take the money and run. Um, because it gives you more flexibility. So those are all part of a, a bigger question that I really think you need to sit down with somebody and um, lay all of those pieces out to make a decision. I, with a cash buyout, you know, I, I wouldn't say to you get real safe on that. Yes, you're 62, but you've got uh, a lot of life left if you uh, hit the averages. And so this is lifetime money that you're dealing with. And so you still need to get some good growth. Yeah, you're going to build some bonds into that. But how much you build in depends on how much you need to take out on a regular basis. So, you know, are you going to go back to work? Are you going to start Social Security when? Um, How much do you need every month to live comfortably in retirement? Um, What are these other accounts that you have and what can they produce for you? got a lot of things going on. Um, did we mention rolling it, making sure it's a rollover, not yes. just simply taking yes. the cash? Um, so <clears throat> with this, you probably have the option to roll that over into an yeah, IRA. Roll it over. Right. So you can roll that. And it'll be the same type of account that your 401k is. You could probably even put it in that same account. Um, and there, once you do that, there's no real reason to invest it any differently than, I mean, there is... Given your total financial situation, there will be some range of appropriate investments. So there's, it's, it's not like this new part needs to be treated differently. Um, it just needs, you just need to take that in consideration with all of your investments. Um, and you know, working working with an advisor who can help you decide on an allocation would be very useful. Uh, working with an advisor who can help you um, explain, help explain to you, you know, what the value of that payout is while they. You know, are hopefully offering something fair. It it might look a little skimpy, um, depending on what all you have and what exactly you need. Um, but but don't you know? Make sure you roll it over so you don't you know incur that huge tax hit. No, I'm, I'm gonna roll it over. Right. Um, but but there's 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 no need to say oh this is going to be a safe part. Um, it's just going to become money just like the, the just like all the other piles of money you have. All right. Uh, on the um 
if you go talk to an advisor, uh, how can you make sure that you get talking to somebody that's going the fiduciary standard? And so, uh, that's an easy one. Yeah. I talked to one other person, and they wanted to, to put me in some stuff that I never heard of. And yeah. I got yeah. the idea that they yep. was going to take a big commission clip yep. right off the top and then leave me with the crumbs. Yep. Well, one of the most important questions you can ask for any financial advisor is, how are you paid? And um, there are great commission people out there who are doing great work, but there's a conflict of interest when you have different commissions for different investments. Um, We are fee-only advisors. We prefer to work that way. I think it's a good way, um, but you can ask that question. If you have a fee-only person, then um, you are paying them either by the hour or by the percentage of your account and Basically, their job is to choose the investments that are best for you. They are under a fiduciary standard. A commission person, if they're not dealing with retirement accounts, are not under the fiduciary standard. Um, yeah, so that that's – I always say that's the first question you should ask an advisor is how are you paid? So what I like to be able to tell people is you are the only person paying me. There's no other party. There's nobody, there's nobody else paying me. Um, and – just to kind of reiterate what she said about, you know, great commission people who are taking commissions but still doing great work by their clients. Um, just keep in mind that, you know, you know just got to put in biblical terms, serving two masters. Um, while they may be doing a very good job, by they do still have some conflicts of interest. They do still have some motivation to serve somebody else. So you want to ask about conflicts of interest. Um, because the new fiduciary rule does allow people to have conflict of interest exceptions, which is That's terrible. crazy. That's we, not a fiduciary. We don't have um, – I mean we like to say we don't have any inherent conflicts of interest. Our, our best interest is growing your account. Um, and one other thing, always background check um, whoever you're going to work with. Um, you, can, you can first just Google them. Uh, see who they work for, et cetera, et cetera. Oftentimes, you know, someone who's set up as an in- independent insurance agent, you know, they'll be working for a larger insurance company. Um, and those are going to be commission and non-fiduciaries most of the time. Um, and the other thing is if they are an advisor, uh, they should be registered with FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, FINRA.org. Um, you can also just Google uh, FINRA broker check. And you can just stick their name in, and it'll tell you if there's been any complaints about them. Um, I did that recently for someone who's, you know, they were like, "Oh, my friend recommended such and such an advisor. You know, do you know anything about them?" I just plugged their name into Fenra Broker Check, and it was like, "Oh, well, you know, they had a complaint that they were forging signatures for a client five years ago." Wow. You know, do you, <laughs> you know, you wow. might want to, you might want to stop talking to them. I, you know, I don't know. Um, so just just always background check people. Always ask how they're paid, and, and always, and I always ask what their say, um, conflicts are. You know, check with other professionals that you work with. Um, you know, do you have uh, a CPA who helps you with your taxes? Do you have an attorney who assists you? Those people usually know um, who is who will be doing the best work for you, and uh, they usually have some relationships with people that they trust and they share clients with. And so that's a good starting point too. All right. Uh, thanks for your call, David. We have another David on the line, on the road with us. David, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Uh, I am retiring effective uh, December the 1st of this year from the state of Mississippi and uh, 
of course, I'm in in the uh, process of completing all of the retirement documents with the mm-hmm. state, and uh, in that process, I noticed that um, there's a ninety thousand dollar difference between the maximum amount of money that I could draw and the amount of money that I would draw if my wife uh, um, drew the same amount that I am drawing in the event of my death during the first 10 years. So in other words, I am I am paying $90,000 for an amount of life insurance that's decreasing over the period of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that got me to wondering just exactly how the best way is to evaluate all of those options that are available to me uh, from the state of Mississippi when I actually retire. Boy, and uh, I will say it's great <laughs> to have options, they, but the they have options a lot of them. for PERS, they're overwhelming. They're overwhelming for us when we look at them. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have um, a single life annuity, meaning it covers just you. And so if you choose that, and that's going to be the most you can get, and you step in front of a truck the first week you're retired, that's it. Well, it's gone. Uh, well, there, there with, might be there might be some. I'm sorry, there might be some <laughs> extra. You know, there's 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 actually to make it a little more confusing. There's two maximum benefits. Okay, there. well, but, but let me go back. But but you have to consider. Then you're going to work down to whether you're going to cover a spouse and for how much of that spouse's life. Then you're going to have options or survivor or or any other survivor. Or then you're going to have options about, um, okay, a smaller monthly benefit, but I'm going to get a lump sum. And usually there are three of those, I think. So what you really have to start with, and, and understand that the actuaries are looking at all of those as basically equal payouts based on average lifespans and lifespans of the spouse and all of those things involved. Yes. So you have to think about what's important to you. And um, if I'm dealing with uh, a man who's retiring, often older than his wife, um, women tend to outlive their husbands. So that becomes a consideration. Is it important to make sure that she has a steady income? Or is well, my, that... my, my wife points out to me almost every week that I am much older than she. I turned <laughs> 71 in August. She'll not be 71 until April. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. you are. Oof. Gosh, so, that, is a, that is quite the gap there. So we don't, we don't know when your appointed time is. And so we have to look at the averages, and then we look at everything else that you have. If you are, you know, if this pension is pretty much it along with Social Security, it becomes very important to make sure that there's protection for that person left behind versus if you have other assets that can step in and fill the gap. Or you, if she has other income. Or she have a, other income, have. then you may be willing to take that risk of something happening and losing out. Um, so all of that comes into play when we think about, first of all, how much do you need every month? Where are those pieces coming from? How important is it for you to guarantee income after you're gone? Let, let, let me ask you one other question now. Here, here's something I'm, I'm 
I'm a lawyer also, so you know that that immediately uh, complicates things and makes me uh, <laughs> yes. difficult to deal with. Yes, I understand. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm thinking my my wife is a nurse and very skilled at at her profession. Uh, she's also a dietitian and a very good cook. So I Ooh. think my lifespan is probably. And and I don't have any serious health issues. I think my lifespan is probably better better than what the average mm-hmm. is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm thinking that that if I choose the option and buy a, uh, a an accident insurance policy for say half a million dollars, that would that would uh, at least uh, Phrase some of the risk, but I don't. I don't know the uh, cost of accident insurance for an older guy like myself, and I don't know where you would purchase such a. Well, it might be expensive because you know older guys still think they're thirty-five and they climb up on ladders <laughs> and they do all kinds of uh, crazy things. Um, I don't know if that's worth it. I think your best insurance is uh, will be other assets that you have. Have you accumulated other things? Does your wife have some income that will come to her that protects her? You know, the biggest concern we have with a couple is when we lose one person out of that couple, we know we're going to lose one social security payment. We may lose a pension if you don't have some protection. So where is the money that will fill the gap? So that's what you need to look at. All right, David, thanks for your call. Let's take one final break this hour. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after this. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell, Nancy Lotter-Janderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Got a couple minutes left in the program, some calls to get to. Let's start again in Memphis. Bill has a question for us. Good morning, Bill. Go ahead. Good morning. I'll be turning 70 and a half in February. When am I required to take my... uh, required minimum distribution do i have a whole year or or must i take it at the beginning of the year in other words can i defer it to the following tax year um so you you can take you can take that required minimum distribution at any time during that year so you're turning 70 and a half in 2018 you take the required minimum distribution in 2018 there is an exception if it is a 401k from a current employer if you are still working you can push it to the next year um, oh, but, but I think that you, you have you, until the year after you turn 70 and a half but the problem is that if you delay, you, be taking two you have to take two distributions in, in one year, which is just more tax. And it would be based on a higher. Well, if maybe if your account was growing, it would be 
based on a higher um a higher balance if that makes sense so but typically yes taking but you you don't have to you don't have to take it in the beginning of the year you don't have to take it on your 70 and a half birthday um you know a nice way to celebrate though right um <laughs> just you, before the year ends you can you can you can knock that out at any point during the year all right bill appreciate your call <clears throat> next up we've got mikey and mobile good morning mikey Hey, good morning. I don't know how you guys remember all these numbers and all this stuff. We don't. Uh, We're just making it up. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> I know, I know. We try uh, our best to remember them. Uh, but uh, listen, I do have a question. Um, uh, if you have a uh, – whatever part of your income is Social Security, it's taxable. And if you've already been taxed on that when you were working – isn't that double taxation? Well, I don't know that I would agree with that. Um, understand that Social Security is income, and not all of Social Security income is taxed. It depends on all of your other income. And so when you develop tax policy, you have to consider we got to have enough money to run the government, right? Um, but we also develop tax policy to try to encourage economic activity, and that means um, uh, giving more to people on the lower end, taxing more on the upper end, a progressive tax system. So for Social Security, depending on your other income, either none of it is taxed if you are at the lower income level, which I think for a couple is around $32,000. i am trying to remember that number. <laughs> um, and then it bumps up to, if you're above that, Half of your Social Security would be taxed, and then you go. If you go above that income level, the most it will be taxed will be eighty-five percent of that. So it is a calculation, and it's just a way of trying to even things out uh, with a progressive tax system and to get the government the money it needs. And so, yes, I hear that all the time. People will say, "Well, I paid that tax in, but it's income." All right, Mikey. Thanks for the call. <clears throat> Got about. Uh... 20 seconds left. Who is Roth of a Roth IRA? Oh, Senator Roth. Mr. Okay. Roth. Senator Roth. All right. Senator, um, I don't know. I can't remember his first name, but he's the one that sponsored the law that created the Roth IRA. I don't remember what year that was in. Um, it's a very popular yeah. retirement account because um, it grows tax-free. You don't get a tax break for the money you put in, but it's a great way to save for retirement, especially if you're young. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks, a production of MPB Think Radio funded in part by generous financial support from your listeners. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash money talks. You can also download the MPB public radio app and listen to MPB Think Radio on your schedule on your iPhone or Android phone. Our show is produced by Java Chapman and screening our calls this morning was Liz Gill. So for Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. Oh,